And now. Hello. My name is Cindy Gross, and I am the host of this very special episode of Cindy's Political Corner. Meet your Republican candidates for New York's gubernatorial race in 2022. This is the year of the primary all over the country in local, state, and national races. If we have learned anything from the pandemic, we have learned that when a state is run by an effective governor, people can live their lives to the best of the situation and thrive. We've seen it in Florida. We've seen it in Texas. However, in blue states like New York, people are struggling to keep jobs, to put food on the table, to walk their streets safely to educate their children, and to communicate with friends and family. Life has stopped or even gotten worse in two years. Smart Republicans, Democrats, and independents who believe in a common-sense government have a choice, have a real choice this November. And tonight, we are bringing you two of the most visible candidates for the Republican primary, Westchester County Executive Rob Astorino and Andrew Giuliani, a former aide to President Trump and, of course, the son of America's mayor. We did invite Congressman Lee Zeldin, but he did not return our response. This is a huge show. You're going to get to hear the candidates speak about issues that each one of us are concerned about. And whether or not you live in New York or you're listening from any state or even anywhere out of the United States, we all have the same concerns. Safety, the price of food, national and international security, fighting anti-Semitism and all kinds of hate because all lives matter including black lives, including Jewish lives and Asian lives and Hispanic lives and young lives and gay lives and straight lives and old lives and disabled people or people with special needs. All lives matter. We're also going to have the hit song rising on the charts from Lavari that speaks and addresses canceling culture. So sit back, stay tuned. We have a huge show tonight. Please write to me your comments through my social media or through my email, cindyscorners at gmail.com. And we are going to bring many more of these interviews and personalities, public figures to you. Selling a home can be expensive and stressful. Remax IQ has created a smarter home selling experience. Our successful real estate agents in New York will sell your home for as little as 2% commission and get you top dollar, stress-free, and fast. Just ask Joseph M. from Brooklyn. Remax IQ made it easy. No for sale sign. I had offers in days. I saved $10,000 in commission and I was in contract fast. If you are thinking of selling, Remax IQ has created a smarter home selling experience. 
Our successful real estate agents in New York will sell your home for as little as 2% commission and get you top dollar, stress-free, and fast. To learn more, call 800-800-1372. That's 800-800-1372. We're not a discount broker. We're Remax IQ. Speak with a top agent today. 800-800-1372. That's 800-800-1372. Or visit RemaxIQ.com. Terms and conditions apply. Visit www.remaxiq.com slash disclaimer. Welcome back to this very special episode of Cindy's Political Corner. And joining us now is no stranger to anybody who is involved in New York politics and anybody who actually watched CNN because he was there for years. (laughs) Rob Astorino is running for governor. And I have been lucky enough to know Rob for years since his first run for governor. And with everything going on in 2022, uh, every day, Rob is making headlines because he is speaking out against every issue taking place in New York. So thank you for coming on and welcome to Cindy's Political Corner. Thank you for letting me come in the corner. I'm ready. And uh, I've been cornered before in New York politics and I escape and I'm ready for this campaign, too. I guess you didn't escape enough because you keep coming back for more. <laughs> yeah, there's something sick about politicians, probably. Right. I'm, I you know, we, we, we have the bug, but we also have a real desire, in, in my case, to just change the state because it is so bad what is happening all over. The current governor is just like the previous governor. She just looks different, has a different gender, but it's really the same continuation, maybe even worse. Hoko is probably worse than Cuomo in some respects, especially with the COVID stuff. But I think there's a lot of opportunities for us, and I think New Yorkers are really just really, really fed up with what's going on. So I have to say that uh, I totally agree with you. And one thing that you have that both of the other uh, candidates in this race do not have is you have executive experience. I mean, Lee is in Washington, but he's never run a county. And Andrew's never run an executive uh, government office. So you have that over them. You were twice the... um, County executive in Westchester, very popular. You're still extremely popular with the your crowd. Nice. I know that from the grassroots. And um, you've run before, so you know what it's like to run for governor. Tell us why you decided to jump into this race. Honestly, it's just because New York is a disaster zone. There's so many people leaving. And, you know, we've talked about it off the air. 400,000 people have left New York in just the last year alone. That is sick. Think about that, how many people have left all over. And I guarantee you the vast majority of them would never have have, leave, have left New York. They, they want to stay here. This is the place that they love. And for me and my wife, we have three kids. Uh, we would love to stay here too. And so to me, it's worth fighting for because we are on a death spiral right now. You know, I had the same kind of thing in Westchester in 09 when I ran and not a single soul gave me an opportunity or thought that they can, you know, that we were going to win. It's a two and a half to one, almost three to one Democratic county. And I was thoroughly outspent going up against an incumbent. But we raised enough money. We had the right issues, right political climate, which is similar to now. And I won and I won big. And, you know, when I governed for eight years, it was pretty simple, you know, put taxpayers first. And I know a lot of people say that, but ultimately you show your cards when you do your budget, when you tell people no, because that costs money and we don't really need that. 
So for eight years, I was handed a $1.8 billion budget when I walked in the door, and I left my successor a $1.8 billion budget when I left. Now, that is fiscal discipline that you just don't see. And the entire time, we never once raised taxes. We actually cut taxes. So we really prioritize, and that is obviously not the case in New York. They're just taxing like crazy. The middle class is getting destroyed. The working class is getting destroyed. You know, the rich, they're getting hit hard too, but they're leaving, right? They're taking their money and they're taking their businesses and they're going down to Florida. And I can't blame them. So there's a lot of big things happening. And then you throw in the craziness with crime and these no cash bail laws and criminals are good and, and the victims are bad, that mentality and attacking the police, defunding the police, emptying the prisons, and then our schools. It's just, it's, and our COVID response, it's just been really, really bad. And everything that doesn't work or didn't work the first five times, it's like these same leaders, and I have to put that in air quotes, think maybe the sixth time it'll work or the 10th time it'll work. So they keep going back to it. The only thing that works is the phone number to the U-Haul place. And that's where people are calling all the time and leaving. And, and we don't want that anymore. Even in Nassau, where I'm from, I will tell you, despite the winds of 2021, because yeah. of what's going on and being so close to the city and Queens border, I can't tell you how many people have given up and are just moving. And what's happening is people like us, registered Republicans, registered conservatives are leaving and we're getting stuck with either the illegal immigrants that are being flown in at 2 a.m. or, you know, people that have been here for years that are so progressive. We recently had made headlines with a tweet that you made about uh Governor Hocker has the right to a uh, constitutional right to actually remove D.A. Bragg after his um, declaration of rewriting the laws of criminal punishment and discipline. Explain more about that, because we in New York are very concerned about the crime going on. Yeah, look, there's there's a law. Well, actually, it's in the state constitution. It's Article 13, Section 13 which uh, gives authority to the governor to remove an elected official if he or she is willfully ignoring the law, if they are not faithfully discharging their duties. Now, Cindy, I will tell you that that should be used extraordinarily rarely. You know, the, the voters should always have the say. Uh, there's no recall mechanism in New York. There is an impeachment, which obviously we almost saw with Cuomo. But this is meant for extraordinary circumstances. And Governor Mario Cuomo almost used it in the late 80s against Yonkers City Council members who were defying a court order on desegregation. Uh, it was used by FDR. Uh, Pataki actually used it once. There's a, also another mechanism where you can take the, the cases or a case away from a district attorney and, and give it to the attorney general. If Bragg sits there after a year, because I will do this January 1st, 2023, when I take the oath of office, if his stated policy on paper, day one, he gets in there and says, we're not going to prosecute all these crimes that I don't like. And if you go into a bank and rob it and you have a gun, that's called armed robbery. It's a massive felony. You'd be, you know, you're going to be in jail for, for maybe decades. He's, his thinking, warp thinking is, well, if you don't use the gun, eh, not so bad. We'll just make it a petty larceny and other crimes. But we also have resisting arrest, which apparently he thinks is wonderful. So let's go beat up the cops every time they try to arrest you. I mean, think of the chaos and the mayhem and the craziness that will ensue 
if you don't enforce gun laws and if you don't back up the cops. So, yes, his stated policy is I don't like it. I'm not going to do it. Well, that's going to endanger New Yorkers. And if Governor Hochul doesn't use that power because she's been dead silent because she doesn't want to, you know, offend anybody on the left because she needs the radicals in her primary. Well, then after a year of him ignoring the law and putting people in danger, I will go in there and I will remove him. And I think that is the example that needs to be set. Even the threat of doing so should should clean up that office. When I told people that I was interviewing you for the show, I asked a lot of people from, you know, voters, grassroots, and you sort of have a cult following because since day one, you have been, if not at every rally, almost every rally, you've been very public about your feelings about mandates. Mm -hmm. So tell us what's going on. And you did have COVID. You survived COVID. You're out there. So tell us a little bit how you, um, you know, how you got to be such a leading voice in New York for this. I've been saying this since the summer of 2020, when schools were going to reopen in the fall, and they were again threatening lockdowns and wanted remote learning. The remote learning empirically, we know now, just what I knew as a parent, these kids aren't learning. And certainly in the minority areas and lower income areas, the, the, the gap is just extraordinarily wide now in, um, in what they have failed to learn in math and English and everything else. So the fact that these school districts, again, are looking to shut down, that the state in Hochul is looking to require kids to get the COVID vaccination in order to attend school, to be educated in New York, that she's requiring masks that we know do not work, Okay, we know by by study and we know that by common sense, because if they worked, we wouldn't have had all these outbreaks. So I have been steadfast in getting back to normalcy. And that's what we need to get our state back on its feet economically uh, to get kids in school, keep them in school. But this nonsense of mandated vaccinations, we have a healthcare crisis right now in our state and it's self-inflicted. It's all self-inflicted. We don't have a bed shortage. We have a nurse shortage. And that's because she, she, uh, she, meaning the governor, is requiring, requiring nurses, <coughs> excuse me, and those in healthcare to get the vaccination, which they may not need because most of them probably have natural immunity to this. And so they, they were forced out. And now we've got 35,000 workers who are out and a healthcare crisis, especially upstate where we have 40 hospitals uh, that have now done away with elective surgery for the time being because they don't have the staff. I mean, how idiotic is this? What would you think, uh, what would you say, were you at top three issues? I gather one is, of course, the mandate. The second, what would be your third big issue to address uh, in your campaign that you want to take on hands on day one? Well, I think the first one really is so broad, and that is the economy and taxes. You know, the number one reason people are leaving is because they can't afford it right now, right? It is with inflation, with the economy nationally, with the, with the you know, issues that we're dealing that came from COVID and just the, the reckless spending in New York and in D.C. That now matters where people are paying extraordinarily high gas prices at the pump, oil to fill your home. You go to the supermarket and you're like, 
I cannot believe the, the price of uh, everything. And then you can't even find things. So the economy has to be on day one and taxes in a real way. I'm not talking about nibbling around the edges because we are literally the highest tax state in America. So just nibbling around the edges means more people leave. We have to really, in a bold way, reduce taxes across the board, not just income taxes. We have to find a way, and we will, to reduce property taxes. And we also have to worry about issues like sales tax and and corporate taxes. All of this matters. It's a reason why businesses and people are going in record numbers down to the Carolinas or Georgia or Florida or Texas. So the economy and taxes, crime. I mean, you cannot have a vibrant city. You cannot have a state that gets back on its knees if people are afraid to walk the streets. And that's what's happening. So we got to go after these just boneheaded laws that stay on the books because they're they won't admit that they've made the mistake. They know it. They're not humble enough to say this cash, no cash bail has been a disaster. It's been deadly. So they're not doing anything about it. But that has to go. We have to back our police, fund our police, not defund them, keep prisoners and criminals who deserve to be in jail in jail, not empty them out. So I think common sense approach to that. And quite frankly, also the, the whole COVID situation. I mean, if we're still dealing with this in a year, then it is completely wrong. I mean, we know how bad it's been, but that means the state is just completely making mistake after mistake after mistake. So yes, the, the mandates will end on day one, whether it's a mask mandate, whether it's the COVID vaccination requirements or passports, they all got to go like other states have already done. They're moving on. They're They're actually going forward. They're winning the battle right. against COVID and they're normal like many other countries. And we, we refuse to do that. So I think all of those, including education issues and energy issues, which is going to be a biggie, because within eight years, 70 percent. And this is an issue nobody talks about. That's right. 70 percent of our energy in New York has to come from renewables, which means goodbye oil, goodbye natural gas, uh, goodbye what you're used to in your own home. That's going to be extraordinarily expensive. It's going to drive up the cost of everything. We already have the highest electric rates outside of Hawaii. It's going to get even worse. So all of these issues have to be dealt with in a logical, reasonable way. And it takes a leader and takes somebody, as you mentioned, who had executive experience, who can lead. And I had to deal with a Democratic county board the entire time. And yet we still were able to do a lot because it takes leadership at the top to move that ball forward. One thing also about you, you've never lost your temper. You're always cool and relaxed, or you've never shown it to us in all the years. No, I don't, actually. My <laughs> wife, it drives my wife crazy, Cindy. She's like, why don't you ever get mad? Why don't you? You know what? Look, you can be firm. You can be resolute as a leader, and your actions speak louder than words. And, and I require accountability. Um, but I'm not a screamer and yeller by nature. But I know how to move things and I know how to get things done. And I think that is also the mark of a leader. Uh, I'm going to be honest with people as I am, you know, when I had employees, when I worked in the private sector or even as county executive. Uh, but just to scream and yell, that just means you're, you're really not sure of yourself. You know, like Joe Biden now, he gets up there and he screams and he yells and he thinks that this is actually going to convince people that he's right. When all it does is show everybody that you really don't know what you're talking about and you're That's certainly right. not sure about yourself. 
So I had to uh, bring up something that's unique to New York, but other states are talking about it as well. We now have, with the approval of our brand new mayor, and now Kathy Hocker wants to uh, have an executive order about the 800,000 illegal immigrants oh. voting, even though in November we overwhelmingly rejected it. Yep. So people tell me between all the people leaving with redistricting and now with these 800,000 people who are probably not going to be voting our way, how can a Republican win New York? First off, the 800,000 non-citizens who are now eligible to vote in New York City, that already there is legal challenges. And I don't care how far left the judge is. If you got two eyes, even maybe one eye, you should be able to read the sentence in the, in the New York State Constitution that requires only, and it's very specific. It's not like, what do they mean by this? It says you must be a U.S. citizen to vote in New York. Okay, so that should be thrown out. Um, if it's not, it should be continuously challenged on a state and maybe even a federal level until that nonsense is thrown out. It completely dilutes what it means to actually be a citizen. And your vote is actually taken away or diluted because others who should not be here are not here legally or or should not have the right to vote are doing so. So Kathy Hochul has been boop, dead silent on this. She's been given a complete pass. How I've tweeted... How is it that the media is not asking her this question? Where do you stand on this? Don't, I'll get back to you. No, 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 no. We have a right to know where you as the governor stand on this. And again, she's trying to appease the far left radicals who she thinks she needs in a democratic primary while the rest of us play the suckers. So she needs to answer that question. And I'm going to continue to hold her feet to the fire. Uh, But again, it's completely illegal. And, um, but this is what we're dealing with. Now, how, do we, how does a Republican get elected in New York? Same way this Republican, pretty conservative, got elected in Westchester, which is very deep blue. I stuck to the basics. I stuck to how we're going to fix things because people knew it then. They know it now. We're on the wrong track. It is broken. It is unaffordable. And we're not even doing the basics right in this state. So I'm going to get us back on track. We're going to help build back this state. We're going to make sure people can afford to live here because people don't want to leave. They do want to stay here, but they feel like nobody's listening to them. And so a Republican can get it. Now, yo hablo español y este es muy importante because it does give us an opportunity to go into neighborhoods all over New York and and be able to either start up a conversation or go on Telemundo or Univision and, and reach maybe an, an audience that doesn't always hear a Republican, um, whether it's in English or Spanish. But same thing with, with all of our immigrants or African-American community. They've been completely, completely given the backhand by the Democratic Party, completely. And they're seeing that now because they're starting to drift away, some in, in larger numbers and more fast than, than others. But they're already realizing what good is it if it's not safe? What, what good is it if you want to defund the police and not have them in my neighborhood so we get hurt and attacked, or I can't keep my business open, or I can't go to the school where I want, or my kids are going to be told to dumb down instead of being you know, congratulated and lifted up who work hard. So I think we've got an enormous amount of opportunity. We saw in Virginia, very close in New Jersey, and I think there's a very big wave this year and I do think it's going to crash here in New York as well. And it'll it'll catapult many people, including me for governor, but many down ballot people as well uh, across the finish line. 
Rob, any final thoughts you want to share with the audience? And also, please share where they could reach out to you. Yeah, no, look, follow me on all of my social media. I love doing TikTok videos. We have fun with those. I, I'm on Facebook, of course, and, and Twitter and Getter and all of them. And for me, it's a real opportunity because I love to, to go through the comments. I'll reply. But, you know, I do read a lot of them. And it gives me an opportunity to really understand what's happening and I think it's really important. So, you know, join my social media, share, like, do that. That's how we kind of build that army. And we're going to need it because, quite frankly, the party establishment uh, is going behind, uh, in this case, Lee Zeldin, who I think when we get going, you're going to see uh, where we have very big differences in our pasts uh, when he was in the Senate Republican uh, majority in the Senate. Um, you know, working with Cuomo the entire time while I was calling Cuomo corrupt to his face and running against him. So I think there's some very big differences between us. And um, and I am the most electable Republican in this race. And by the way, that's the name of the game. You got to win, you know, just right. winning a primary and losing by 15 points. That's not the name of the game. The game is to win in November and actually change this state. And I'm the most electable Republican in the field. So I around the country, I'm working with a lot of candidates. And what I'm finding is this year in both parties, it's the year of the primary. The people yeah. don't want to be told who to vote for. They want to vote for who they want to vote for. And like I said, Rob Astorino, you have a cult following. I'm hearing yeah. this from people who, who didn't vote because of what you've done going out with the mask mandates. Well, I appreciate it. And, you know, when, when some people in the party establishment say, oh, you know, we should not, we should unify and not have a primary, that's divisive. Mm -mm. I'm not going up against an incumbent in my own party. This is an open field. And instead of, you know, four or five dozen Republican chairs deciding, how about the three million Republican voters getting to pick? Because you know what? If we just rallied around the establishment and that the person with the most money, uh, we would have had Jeb Bush, right? And instead, Absolutely. in 2014, uh, in 2015 and 16, Republicans decided he's not the best candidate. And we chose as Republicans in a party, chose Donald Trump, who ended up winning. So, you know, there's many of that. In 2010, Rick Lazio was the establishment pick. Carl Palladino said, nope. And Carl Palladino won and won big. So I'm, I like where we're going to be. And I'm ready to get going. And uh, trust me, I have a spine of steel and I'm ready to stand up to anybody. Well, we just had a tip of the iceberg of the discussion. You're always welcome back. We Thank you. want you back. And uh, we want all the updates on the campaign. And I'll just tell you, I remember uh, meeting Rob in the last campaign. And really, a lot of the, like you said, a lot of the establishment was so sure about Cuomo. The Republican yeah. establishment was working with Cuomo. Yep. And look what happened to them. And some of those people who are Republicans are no longer actually, they have their own uh, issues to deal with. So we have to stick with our people. When you go across the party, it doesn't always work out the best way. I mean, it's great that Rob could bring together Democrats, independents, conservatives, and Republicans. He's done it in Westchester for years. Thank you so much for joining Cindy's Political Corner. Anytime. Thank you, Cindy. Thank you.
To this very important episode of Cindy's Political Corner. Joining us now is one of the bright young talents of the Republican Party. He is out there every single day, every single night, making headlines. You know his name, of course, from his father, but he's made a huge name for himself. Andrew Giuliani is running for governor in the Republican primary in New York, and he's going to tell you just how important his grassroots campaign has grown because he just shared very exciting news with me. So, Andrew, thank you for joining Cindy's Political Corner. Cindy, great to be on with you. So share the news that you just uh, shared with me that you want our listeners to know. Sure. Well, look, we just had uh, great news come out of the Giuliani camp 
Uh, Siena came out with another poll today. That's five straight statewide polls that have had us up double digits in every single one of the polls. This one had us up 14 points. So uh, for the Republican nomination. So what we continue to see is we continue to see, as you mentioned, the grassroots strategy, which right from the very beginning, when I announced my candidacy in May. I said, we're going to go to as many mass gathering places in New York and talk about whatever issues are important to the community. Uh, and what we found, you know, is, is kind of what we, what we kind of knew going in, right? The biggest issues are crime, are the economy and jobs. And as we talk about a lot, uh, Cindy, education. Well, Andrew was the only candidate that came out this summer when we did a press conference in an area that is predominantly Democratic. And Andrew met and won over the Democratic black parents who were there who are sick and tired of their children going to failing public schools that make headlines for corrupt leadership. And Andrew was at the forefront of that months ago. And I know since then he's been making headlines every day. He just made headlines with Curtis Lewa with uh, being the first candidate to make an announcement that he's going to share here and tell us the follow-up in regard to Alvin Bragg. Yeah. So we, I called very early on, on Kathy Hochul to remove Alvin Bragg. I, Looking at the state constitution, Article 8, Section 13B gives her the right to remove Alvin Bragg. I believe if you look at Alvin Bragg's memo to his assistant district attorneys, he already has violated his oath of office that he took on day one. And so for us, it's very simple. If Kathy Hochul chooses not to remove Alvin Bragg, if you have somebody that should be in jail and ends up committing another crime while they're out on cashless bail, then the blood is on Kathy Hochul's hands. Hochul needs to remove remove Bragg. I have pledged that I will remove him on day one. The other part of that petition, which we spoke about or which we'll, we'll speak about a little bit, is adding recall in New York. So one of the things that San Francisco and L.A. has now is they're going through their recall process with their Soros funded D.A. So for us, it's a matter of we need to make sure that Alvin Bragg uh, actually prosecutes the crimes that he is supposed to do in holding office. And when you talk about resisting arrest and armed robbery and him choosing not to prosecute those crimes, unfortunately, we're going to continue to see Manhattan uh, just spike in violent crime if he's at the helm for much longer. So we had to be honest when we're talking about this, you're running for a statewide election and that is a citywide, but it affects the entire state. I'll give you a perfect yeah, but, example. I work with New right, York but, Fashion Week. New York Fashion Week, the second largest industry in New York for tourism and everything, is falling apart. And it affects the, the Nassau County, Westchester County, the outlying counties yes. where everybody is involved. So everybody should be supporting you, regardless of where they live in New York State, in regard to this recall. Yeah, and it's the governor that has the power to recall the DA. It's not the mayor. Uh, it's not the Manhattan Borough president that has the, the power. It's the governor of the state of New York that has the power to remove the DA. And you're right. I mean, it's one of those things that Manhattan, obviously, you know, it, it's it's one of the centers, not just of the state or of the country, but of the world. Right. I mean, you have, you know, tens of millions, 50 million people that flood in that spend their tourist dollars here. Well, unfortunately, if we have people that if, if we continue to see crime spiking, you're going to have less and less people they're going to come in and spend their tourist dollars here. And that's just going to hurt more and more businesses like we've seen over the last five years. So we have to talk about the endorsement of Curtis Lewa and him uh, touring with you. 
Tell us a little bit about that and how this has helped your campaign. Well, first off, I've known Curtis since, you know, I was three years old. I remember the 1989 campaign. I don't remember much from from that campaign as I was young, but I do remember Curtis in in his beret playing stickball somewhere in Brooklyn with with my father. So I've known Curtis for a very long time. Uh, I worked the street with streets with Curtis during his mayoral campaign. Uh, When you look at some of some of the places where he did really well, I think it's a a great guide for us uh, as we're running statewide, right? We need to get 30% of New York City in order to win the state. Curtis got uh, almost 30%. He was at 29%, which means we are right on the cusp of being able to pull off the state. That's just how the numbers end up working out. Uh, But I think one of the things I think is so important for for your viewers to know, you know, obviously people see Curtis and he's got this massive personality, a great speaker, uh, you know, big personality. But one of the things that's amazing about him is just how smart he is on a policy level, not just a political level, but a policy level. He really understands it and he really gets municipal politics well. So having him in my corner, both in front of the camera, but behind the camera uh, has been tremendous over the past month. So I have to say, everybody, of course, knows who your father is. Your family has been very good to me through the years. In fact, I live with your father and Maria. I'm probably the only person that got him into uh, GQ and on Daily Mail for sitting front row fashion week. But I have to ask you, we haven't seen your father much with you. Is he going to be a part of the uh, Giuliani for Governor tour? Oh, yeah. I mean, I was just with him a couple of days ago uh, at an event. Um, so he, he's there. And, and I think as we get into the petition process here in March, you're going to see a much more uh, public uh, public role from him from from our campaign. You know, that's that's one of the things we, we've been going now for eight months. I think it's eight months on the 18th. So eight months uh, to the start of our campaign. Uh, so he's been there. But, you know, you got to remember, we're still not even halfway through this campaign when you look uh, and see that, you know, that, that November 8th is still uh, almost 10 months away. So he's been amazing behind the scenes. His strategy, his advice has been incredible. Um, I, I think he's one of the main reasons why we've uh, why we've grown this lead the way that we have and why we've been able to focus on the grassroots to the effect that we have. He saw kind of the situation uh, that was developing early on, which was the, the, the party wanted to uh, choose a candidate without having the people uh, decide. And he said, hey, this is not right. You need to you need to hit this every single day, every single place that you talk about. You need to make sure you let New Yorkers know that it shouldn't just be a couple people in a back room making the decision for the rest of our state. It's got to be the two point nine million registered Republicans Uh, and showing people uh, just how the party wants to cut people out of the decision making process. I think it's one of the main reasons why we've been able to build up the lead that we have even though the party has tried to anoint someone else. Well, I have to tell you, as somebody who ran for Congress and was not the party choice, and I know people regret it because everybody's begging me to get in the race and run for Congress again. uh, I will tell you that working with candidates across the country now, all I'm hearing from both parties, it's the year of the primary. People are sick and tired of the backroom deals that are being made and people deciding their votes. And that's why people on both sides are totally fed up with what is going on. You see it on the the right. You see it on the left. Tell yeah. us what you think about um, besides uh, what's going on 
This past week, we had a terrible issue with anti-Semitism and a hostage terrorist crisis and a a remark by the FBI initially that they had to pull back because of the flack they were getting. You're, You're in a state where there are a lot of Jews and there's a lot of people with a lot of different religions that are very concerned about security and praying freely. Yeah, look, I, I, I found that uh, absolutely terrible. And I think to see the, the rise in anti-Semitic crimes that we've been seeing over the past couple of years uh, is very, very disturbing. Um, you know, I look at it this way. I mean, when you see what has become mainstream in the Democratic Party, uh, just 15 years ago, this was stuff that was on the fringes of college campuses. It wasn't even accepted most places in college campuses when it comes to uh, Israel. And now, now they want to boycott, divest, and sanction. This has been going on for the last couple of years, on top of the fact that they don't even want funding for the Iron Dome. And, and to me, that's just absolutely crazy. But it's gone, it's gone mainstream in the Democratic Party. So as it has, um, and, and as people become more and more afraid of the socialist wing of the party, which who are really pushing this, you have Democrats, which become, maybe they, they don't believe in it, but but they're quiet because of but because of power, it's it's completely unacceptable, and we need to call out anti-Semitism uh, where it where it stands. You know, I'm very proud to sit as a board member appointed by President Trump of the U.S. Holocaust Museum, and uh, to me, I take this very very seriously. It's one of the the, the great uh, duties and obligations that I have as an American citizen, uh, and I think this is very simple, right? We need to be free to practice our religion in a safe way. In New York, and, and and I would look at some of the early edicts of Governor Cuomo and Bill De Blasio in our state and city, respect respectfully, and say that I think in many ways they were picking on our Jewish New York brothers. Well, no one has to question your family's involvement with the Jewish community for decades. <laughs> I was I actually sat right across from your father at uh, what, that famous dinner where other people were at. He was always a supporter of Israel, mm-hmm. of the traditional Judeo Samaria, the um, the work that President Trump did during the administration that you were involved in. You know, of all, of all the things, if you talk to him privately, that he's most proud of, you know, including taking down the five families, turning New York City around from 2,200 murders a year to less than 600 in, in his term. Um, one of the things he's most proud of is kicking Arafat out of New York City uh, when he was not invited during the 50th anniversary of the UN, right? He was not a head of state, yet he decided to come in and thought he was going to bully his way in. Well, Rudy Giuliani said, you get that, you know what out. Well, I will tell you that uh, we can be proud of him. And ob- it's obvious with your connection with Curtis, because Curtis won areas in Brooklyn and Queens that are Jewish. And he also won the Asian vote, especially in Queens. That's becoming a very important vote. Tell us what you are doing in those communities. So for us, it's a matter of, and I think this is one of the things that's so important across all communities of New York. And this is where, when we talk about crime, I mean, it, it doesn't matter if, if you're Jewish or Catholic. It doesn't matter if you're if you're living now in Manhattan with Alvin Bragg or you're living uh, in Queens and in Brooklyn and different areas all over the state in Rochester. Let's say this is not exclusive to New York City. Correct. Uh, b- bail reform has been the number one issue. Now, I know that's not something that you would think uh, is an issue that's exclusive to uh, a community 
for example. But the truth is, whether or not you live in urban areas or rural areas, bail reform and rising crime has been a massive issue all across our state. Even in Rochester, they just recorded the most murders ever on record last year. So for us, it's a matter of pushing, pushing that. It's talking about education, which we talk about all the time, Cindy, and making sure that parents have more choices. It shouldn't just be kids like myself, whose parents had the means to send me to private school, that have more choices, that have more options in education, that have more charter options, that have maybe a tax voucher program, which is what I want to push. So that way, so that way if the public schools are not performing for their kids, then parents can send them without being double taxed, let's say, to, to, public, to private schools. And it's a matter of creating jobs here in New York. We lead the country in out-migration. I'm sick and tired of seeing all of our jobs and businesses go down to Florida. I want to make sure we build it back here in New York. Well, Andrew, I have to say, that sounds like common sense. That doesn't sound like Republican. <laughs> that sounds like you're, you're attracting Democrats and independents to this because <laughs> it's common sense. And I'm sure you're yeah. hearing that from a lot of people. We, we are. We're hearing that. And we're seeing that, too. And I think this is where we've also seen a, a big advantage over uh, some of our Republican primary friends, uh, friends who were competing within the Republican primary. Uh, we continuously get around between 25 and 30 percent uh, of Democratic support. even, And it's not because we're pandering to them. It's because we're presenting common sense solutions and they see that we're going to be able to go into Albany uh, and make those changes. Any of our other friends uh, in the Republican primary, uh, nobody really cracks about 12, 13 percent amongst Democratic support. And, that, and that's one of the most exciting things when you look beyond the primary day and say, who's the candidate that's not only going to win the primary, but who can win? Uh, we keep showing, I think, time and time again with the numbers that we are best positioned to win and uh, take back the governor's executive chambers. So what do you tell people that say this is not 1990 and and George Pataki had different circumstances and now we're going to have 800,000 illegal immigrants voting in New York? What do you tell them their chances are that they could have a Republican governor? Well, thank goodness the 800,000 uh, illegal immigrants can only vote citywide. So it's not statewide. It's only for city election. Um, with that being said, I, I really think that should get shot down in court. I know that uh, a group of Republicans have challenged it uh, and brought it to court, and, and I certainly hope that it does in looking at it. I think it's just another way uh, at which we've seen our electoral system uh, really come under fire over the last couple of years. We need to make sure we have elections that we have integrity in, that we believe that have integrity. Uh, and I think if you look back at, at the last five years of elections, um, whether or not you're a Republican or Democrat, You've had almost 100 percent of the population, over 90 percent of the population question the integrity of one of the last two presidential elections. That's not healthy. So for us, uh, in terms of winning statewide and for those who will say, well, this is not the 1990s under Pataki or anything like that, I would say look at a couple of things. One, outside of the state, look at Virginia, look at New Jersey. Right. Those are two deep blue states. Virginia, we ended up winning New Jersey was a very, very close loss that probably if there was a few more resources pulled, pulled in, the Republican Citarelli would have won. But also look local. Look at what Curtis was able to do in some of these communities with the numbers that I told you before. Look at Nassau. Look at Suffolk. Look at Erie County. Look in Albany County. You saw great wins for Republicans in places where they hadn't won uh, in decades. So for us, this is all pointing to a red wave, which will carry New York 
uh, next year. This year. This year. I was saying next year. It's I this know. year. I can't wait. I'm so excited. It's this year. I know you've been doing this. I mean, we've been talking for months <laughs> and working together. And of course, I'm going to come out when you want to talk about education, because that's my key issue. So mm-hmm. before we close, any closing thoughts that you want to share? Any points we missed that are very important? Anything upcoming that we need to know to support Andrew Giuliani? Sure. Well, look, our petition process is going to be starting up in March. We're expecting it to start March 2nd or 3rd, uh, but it will depend on whether when the state lines get settled for state assembly, state Senate, and then the congressional races as, you know, that's going to go to the state assembly now and, and, and uh, the legislature figure out the actual lines. Um, so our petition process will start when that happens. Um, we are going to be moving around the state. Uh, just like we did in the first month of the campaign. I made it a, an issue to go to all 62 counties within the first month. They said I wouldn't be able to do it in the first three months. We were able to do it in the first month. That is what the petition process is going to look like for us. So anybody who wants to volunteer, anybody who wants to donate, I urge you to go to nyforgiuliani.com. That's N-Y-F-O-R-G-I-U-L-I-A-N-I.com. And coming out, we can use your support. Well, you're a new father. I'm sure you're going to miss that baby while you're, you're doing all this. And uh, it's, I'll tell you what, it, it humbles you. And it's it's the, the most amazing thing holding her. Um, but you realize, you know, you come to a, you go to a political event. You might talk to 500 people or something like that. Take pictures and, 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 and you know, everybody. Oh, we, we love you. We love you. Uh, when you get home, you know, you realize your 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 most important thing you could do is go change a diaper. So it humbles you. Um, but it's, it's, it's the most amazing thing. And, and I, I'm so blessed to have my baby brace. Well, we want to thank you for stepping in and being a, a person of common sense who is standing up. He's going all over the place because I'm getting a lot of phone calls about, did you hear Andrew's here? Andrew's there. He's meeting with the black community, the Asian community, the parent. You're all over and we thank you for your service, but we don't expect anything less then from the greatest mayor of New York's offspring. <laughs> well, thank you, Cindy. And it's great to, great to be with you. Thank you so much. In closing tonight, we remember Shelly Silva, who passed away this week. And with us is Democratic strategist and a friend, Hank Scheinkoff. In a few words, please share with our audience, particularly the Jewish community that you are so familiar with and that you've worked with uh, the former assemblyman with, uh, some of his accomplishments and what we should remember about his tenure. Well, for, from a Jewish perspective, first, thank you for having me on. Um, I'm grateful to be here, and I wish uh, wish all the best to your listeners. Listen, it's... We, we have to understand the symbolism of the time. Shelley Silver, an Orthodox Jew from the Lower East Side of Manhattan, ascending to the, uh, one of the three most powerful positions in the, uh, what was certainly still is in many ways, the financial, financial capital of the world, um, the business capital of the world and the media capital of the world. I mean, it's a pretty extraordinary, uh, thing when you think about it. Shomel Shabbat, Jew as head of the assembly. It's pretty amazing. Um, you know, protect the, uh, the protection of, of, of Jews was significant and important to him. Note, uh, the, the anti-autopsy legislation, uh, uh, the Agunot legislation, um, the capping of, of, uh, tuitions at state and city universities, which apply to a lot of us. Um, he, um, 
he uh, really was not really understood in that way. And he was a tough guy. He uh, very smart. He knew every detail of the budget. You could ask him a question about the state budget. He knew it inside and out. It was no question. He was a very, very, very smart guy. Um, you know, there's what else can you say? He did the job. He held the place together. He negotiated tough in a very tough fashion with the governors and others. Um, and in a, in a political system where you had uh, one house controlled by the Republicans, which you had for most of his tenure, all of his tenure, actually. Um, and now you have a, a, a system where both houses of the legislature, the Senate and the Assembly, are controlled by the Democrats. Negotiations are less important in some ways than they are figuring out how the real three men in a room works. Now we have two men and women. They're, what they're negotiating about is not sure. There's no party problems. The issues are somewhat different. So um, it's the two. It's the legislature against the governor. In the and the in the Pataki uh, Dean Skilos slash um, slash uh, Joe Bruno era, it was really about when Shelley was the speaker. George Pataki was the governor for most of that period of time, and they didn't get along much. So personalities didn't interfere, but Shelley delivered for his communities, and that was most significant. Shelley Silva, dead at 77. May he rest in peace. Thank you for joining us on Cindy's Political Corner.